Before I get started on this week's episode, I just want to give a fair warning that um, in this episode I do talk about a lot of heavy topics, including mental health and um, the loss of loved ones. Um, So if you feel you might be triggered um, by anything like that, uh, it does get quite heavy. Um, So just a fair warning. second episode of the Star Child Diaries. My name is Oriana and I am your hostess. Um, so this evening, um, I've got a lot of stuff on my mind lately and this podcast is very similar to um, journaling for me. Um, I do do a lot of writing um, on my computer or in a journal. Um, for, you know, myself personally, even more personal than what I'd be writing on here, (laughs) writing on here, talking about on here. And, um, I just want to say, um, before I get really started, if you hear any background noise, I apologize. Um, my brother is listening to something in the other room. I don't know if it's going to pick up on microphone and I'm in my room as opposed to the bathroom where I normally record. Um, it's about, it's just after two in the morning while I'm recording this. So hopefully, uh, I don't get too many traffic sounds in the background, uh, because my apartment faces a very busy street normally. Uh, but being that it's 2am, uh, there'll only be like the occasional car that drives by. So you'll probably hear that, but just want to apologize ahead of time if that happens. Um, but anyway, um, so Right now, obviously, um, a lot of people aren't working, and for most people, it's due to the COVID-19 situation. Um, I'm also not working, but it's for a different reason. Um, Right now, I'm on a leave of absence from work um, due to some things going on with my mental health, and... um, there's a lot of past like trauma and things that I just I haven't dealt with I push it to the back of my mind because I've had to deal with so many other things like um, for anybody who doesn't know um, I have lo- I've, I've lost both of my parents um, not at the same time um, my dad passed away back in 2007 uh, from cancer and my mom passed more recently in 2017 uh, in a single car um, accident and after dad passed away a lot of stuff happened Um, my mom she had suffered from bipolar disorder and that came with a lot of positives and negatives Um, If you knew my mom, she was uh, 
an incredible, amazing, dynamic woman. She was the type of person where if she set her mind to something, she'd do it. Like, she did so many incredible things, um, the least of which was being, like, when she was a teenager, she decided that she wanted to be a journalist. So she got her notebook and pen and um, just started freelance journaling. Um, So she would go to concerts, because what she wanted to do is she wanted to get to a point where she could interview celebrities. She loved that. So she would go to concerts, for example, like, um, I don't know, an Elton John concert, and she'd want to interview him. Well, she's not actual press. She wasn't actual press. She had no real anything, but she made her way backstage, however the heck she did it, talked her way back, whatever. And she not only interviewed him once, she interviewed him twice. And I think she said that one year when she interviewed him, um, she was the only person in Canada to interview him that year or something like that. And she ended up selling her interview with him and like the transcript and the article she'd written to this guy named Bob Geldof. Now, he was not very nice to my mom. And he's like, apparently this big name guy that some people know and he was like a humanitarian kind of person now I guess but like he was super rude to my mom he called her a moose and I never appreciated that and like she worked hard and he from what she told me he used to be very discouraging to her but she still did her thing and she was very successful she actually met quite a few people like the guess who she interviewed, she, um, interviewed Olivia Newton-John, um, she also used to work for a PR agency in Toronto, run by this guy named Gino Empry, and he was a character, and, oh man, I wish she would have been able to write her book about that time in her life, and, like, all her adventures and things that she did, because, Some of the stories that she used to tell me were just wild, and a lot of it, a lot of what she was able to do and accomplish in her life was because of her more manic side to her bipolar disorder, because she would be like, hey, I want to do this, and, like, she fully believed that she could do it, and then she did, and I think that's incredible and amazing, and she did amazing things too, I mean, she made my dad an author, she not only published his books for him, uh, and helped him edit them, and, and helped him bring out that story, and bring it to life, but, like, she didn't just self-publish the books, she created a whole publishing company to publish his books, so it would be more official, and that's just the kind of person that she was, and, Um, I remember I used to be signed up for this program, um, when we lived in Erie, Pennsylvania. It was called the Charter School Program, and it was for gifted children, um, who went to, like, regular public schools and maybe, like, not the better part of town, and they would bus us to the better, richer schools in the other part of town so that, um, 
you know, we could, I don't know, get a better education, I think. And the city decided to cancel this program for whatever reason. Um, but, like, whoever was already in the program could finish it, but, like, no other kids after that would be allowed to do it. Um, and my mom was at their board meeting when they were talking about this, and she said, well, you know, we should do one last thing from the charter school and, like, get it covered in the news and, like, make a statement to the city that this is a good program and it shouldn't have been canceled and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, what are you thinking? She's like, well, Earth Day is like in a couple days we should organize a beach cleanup and they said you can't organize a beach cleanup in two days like that's too much work it can't be done and of course my mother just goes watch me and she did and not only <laughs> did she organize a beach cleanup with the charter school students over, I think it was over 200 people showed up to that beach cleaning and it also had news coverage and she got matching t-shirts and there was a color picture article in the newspaper and a little segment on the news about it and she did all of that in two days for Earth Day and I've always been super impressed with that and uh I don't know, she just did stuff like that all the time. Her and my dad, like, were, like, creative powerhouses, and I know I've inherited a little bit of that from them, because I'm constantly coming up with ideas. I mean, I've started a podcast <laughs> that, you know, I can't just be satisfied with one series for the podcast. It has to be three, you know, because, like, I had to talk about myself and my life and kind of what's going on with me and I also have to talk about sex and then I also have to talk about dreams and the unconscious mind. And on top of this, I'm also working on writing um, a book which is, again, same title, The Star Child Diaries, but the main, that's more like the series title, I guess, because there's definitely gonna be more than one book. Um, the main title of the book is called Full Circle, and the reason it's called that is because my parents left behind quite a legacy. Um, my dad's name is Manny Two Feathers. Feel free to look him up. Um, and he started a lot him and my mom did a lot um, in their life, especially in their life together. Like the 15 years before my dad passed away, him and my mom accomplished copious amounts of things. They helped so many people and did so many different things. And I've always wanted to continue in their footsteps. Um, but it's been hard to accomplish that because of all the many setbacks we've had since Dad passed away. Um, when Dad passed away, we had been living kind of temporarily in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, we drove down there when he got sick. We still had our house in Erie, Pennsylvania. But we drove down there because it was lung cancer and the breathing was... Like, I guess the 
the dry, hot air was better for my dad um, to breathe. And it was closer to his family, closer to his home. And the Tucson VA hospital, because he was a, an army vet uh, as well, like they had a, a good cancer treatment center there, I guess. So that's where we went. And we'd been renting an apartment and after dad passed away and like le- the weeks leading up to it, my mom, because we were living in the States and not the best healthcare options there for her with her medication, or maybe she just wasn't taking it. I don't know. But she started going into a, um, like an episode, like a manic episode. Um, and not like a regular one where she was just like positive and creative and, you know, just very energetic. Um, it was the type of manic episode where like it's brought on by so much stress that she would be picking fights with people, um, not sleeping, you know, um, after dad passed away and we came back up for, uh, the Sundance ceremony, which I'll talk more about later. Um, it just, it just spiraled and having just lost her husband, her soulmate, the love of her life, she kind of had a little bit of a nervous breakdown coupled with that manic episode and she was just so far gone, um, that she was almost unrecognizable personality wise. And after the Sundance, we were in Erie for a while and it was summertime, so like Stone and I weren't in school, and we were just kind of hanging out at home and doing whatever. And um, one day, I remember she woke me up at like eight o'clock in the morning, and just said, "Get ready, we're leaving in half an hour." And I said, "For like to go where?" She said, "We're going to Canada." And I said, okay, like for how long? She's like, just the weekend, like we'll go, I wanna, you know, just go home for the weekend and, you know, see her old area where she used to live and um, visit family and stuff. Like just Canada is her home, right? She wanted to come home, that's where she felt safe. So she's like, we'll just be gone the weekend, like just a little trip. And I said, okay. But she was, like, saying this in a very, like, I don't want to say panicky, frantic, maybe, like, get ready to go because we're leaving soon. And I'm like, okay, so me, at that age especially, wasn't moving super fast. So I'm, like, slowly packing a suitcase, trying to figure out what the heck I want to bring for a weekend trip to Canada because, like, there was no forethought, there was no warning about this trip. It's just, like, get up and we're going. So I'm trying to figure out what to pack, and there's always been a list of things that I like to bring with me anywhere. Like, if I'm going on a trip, um, I have, like, a list of things that I always want to bring. Um, number one thing is, like, my journal. Something to write with, something to write on, um, whatever music player device, whatever that I have. At the time, I think it was a cassette tape player, So I brought my cassette tape player and a bunch of tapes, and um, I had 
like a little Nokia cell phone or a little Verizon cell phone, I think. One of those ones where you could like pull out the antenna. And then I had um, like a book I wanted to read and there's some other random things that I felt and like that were very important for me to bring. And of course I was trying to pack clothes and I needed to pack a bunch of other stuff. And I was thinking like the sink was full of dishes and I'm mentioning this for a reason because it became something I fixated on for a long time. Sink was full of dishes and I thought, okay, well, it's fine. It's going to be gross, but I'll do them like when we get back after the weekend because I didn't have time to do them before we left. And Stone, I don't know what he was doing. I was trying to pack the car. I think I managed to get... I put a blanket and a pillow in there because that was another thing I always brought with me on road trips was like a blanket and a pillow so I knew I could be comfortable, especially growing up traveling as much as we did, like blanket and pillow to be comfy during the drive is so important. And I had like a little satchel backpack thing uh, because of course, you know, back in high school, couldn't, couldn't wear a regular backpack. I had to have one of those like side purse like backpacks. So I had that night stuffed it full of just random things that I thought were important at the time. And then like I brought my suitcase downstairs and it was packed with all of my clothes and toiletries and things like that. And I was just about ready to go. And my mom started screaming from outside and she's like, get in the car, we're leaving right now. And I'm like, let me grab my suitcase. She's like, no, leave it, we have to go right, right now, like right now. And Stone just jumped in the car because he was 10, right? And mom is like, get in the car, we have to go. And of course, 10 year old Stone is okay. You know, and he gets in, he buckles up and he's good to go. And I just like grabbed an armful of my clothes and ran to the car. I don't even think I shut the door to our house. She didn't shut it, she didn't lock it, we just left. And she stopped at the bank. I think she withdrew whatever money was there. We gassed up. She bought a loaf of bread and a package of Kraft cheese singles. You know, the like plastic cheese. And then off we went and we drove around for hours and hours and hours. And I think she was trying to like take back roads and stuff. And she told me that the FBI was following us, that they were probably tracking us somehow, and she was yelling at the rearview mirror as if it was bugged and they were listening, and I didn't know what to think. And honestly, at this point, for me, the second mom told me that dad had passed away. Like, Stone and I had been staying with a family friend for the day while mom was with dad and she said hey like we need to go and like your mom wants you guys to go to the hospital and I'm like okay and this was a normal thing like it had been happening for weeks we'd go we'd visit dad and then they'd take us back to the apartment whatever so we thought it was just another regular day and um mom called like called us to go and we were told to wait in this little room which was uh it was like a peaceful little room where people could go and just like sit and be quiet and 
it had low lighting and it was just a very calming kind of room. And so we were sitting in there and Stone and I, we were actually getting along really well that day. We weren't fighting or we joking and laughing and everything was fine. Sunny, beautiful day. And um, mom comes in and she sits down and we're just kind of looking at her and I'm sitting in the chair across from her. And Stone's kind of sitting on the arm of her chair and she's just kind of looking down towards the ground and she says, um, your dad passed away. And something just switched in my brain and I felt it. And it was like I turned off. I don't know how else to describe it. Like just my emotions just switched off and I was automatically just detached from the whole situation and I remember Stone like hugged my mom and she hugged him and they were crying and and I was just sitting there looking at them like I get so sad for them like I wasn't a part of it And then I realized I should be hugging them because logically I knew that this was affecting me too, but it wasn't affecting me in a way I thought was normal, but I couldn't help how I was feeling. And uh, eventually like everybody pulled together enough where we were able to go and say our final goodbyes to dad. And I'm crying more about it now than I did that day because I was so detached. And I walked in and I saw him. And uh, he just wasn't there. My dad's body, when he passed away, that's the only dead body I've ever really seen, like in real life. And uh, it's just empty. Like, I don't know if I'm crazy, but like you can feel someone's presence, you know, when they're in a room. You can feel when they're there. And he wasn't there anymore. And I remember talking to him. And I remember... He just looked so small. He'd had um, really long hair, and he'd had such a strong presence to him that was intense, but calming at the same time. And um, that room was just empty, and I felt that I was standing there alone.
and I didn't cry that day, and I actually didn't cry for most of the year after that, actually. I didn't cry when Mom took us up to Canada. I didn't feel anything. I was just empty. I was empty when she told us we were going to Canada. I was empty when we got there. Um, we drove around in Ontario for like three days with no real like direction. We're just driving and driving and driving and occasionally mom would stop to like rest for a while and we'd be in a parking lot somewhere. And she was so freaked out thinking we were being followed that if another car like pulled into the parking lot, she'd start the car and we'd leave. And um, she'd gotten mad at me as we were crossing the border, like we were driving over the Peace Bridge. And uh, my cell phone rang because somebody was calling me. And she got so mad. She's like, I can't believe you. Like, we're being followed. And, you know, they're probably tracking your cell phone. Like, get rid of it. And she made me throw my cell phone out the window. I was so angry. And then... We... I don't know how the heck we even got across the border, to be honest. Because... We didn't have any of our documentation. And this was after 9-11, but we were all Canadian, and Mom just said we were going home, and the guy didn't even ask us for papers, and I don't know how we managed that. The only thing I can ever think of is that Spirit or the Creator or maybe Dad was looking after us, and we made it, and then we drove around, and we eventually we were running out of gas, and I swear we drove on fumes for a whole day on back roads here in Ontario and then we eventually ended up right outside the town that she was actually trying to get to um, like we literally ran out of gas right in front of the sign that said like welcome to Norland and it like right in front of the sign car broke down and so I went and I walked up the road to try and get gas from somebody and just said like hey our car broke down like just down the street like can you help me and it was the first Canadian people I ever met <laughs> um, like since the first time like when I was a kid and like I went up to the house I knocked on the door I said hey like we need help and they sent me with a cup of tea for my mom and cookies and the guy like walked with me back to the car with a can of gas and then my mom had walked across the street because there was a house across the street from where the car was and like there was this French guy there and he offered to let us shower and made us lunch and like mom was top of the world's like so happy she's like this is why I love Canada because everybody here is so nice like da 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 and we eventually made it to um 
her aunt's house, which she found out like two days later. We were staying with, with this woman and found out that she actually wasn't her aunt, that she had actually been her foster mom when she was a kid. And my mom had never known that. She thought that she'd been staying with a relative, and then she'd found out at that point in time with her mental health where it was that she had actually, her mom had put her in foster care. And that didn't didn't go over well for her. Um, she got very confrontational again and, like, angry, and she took my brother um, for a drive and, I guess, drove through Fenland Falls and decided that she wanted to start a business there and, you know, she was thinking of all the things she was going to do and how we were going to move back to Canada, and she ended up getting in a car crash. Not a major one. Both her and my brother were fine. But she fell asleep at the wheel, crashed, and then they got towed back to Norland, but because, like, we had no money, so she couldn't pay for the tow, so they took the car. They let us empty it out first, so we just had all of our stuff, and at this point she was, like, really fighting with um, her aunt or foster mom like really picking a fight with her and she was mad and then she decided that we were leaving so my brother and I carried all of the random stuff that happened to be in the car so like the blanket and pillows some camping chairs that like there was just a bunch of stuff left over from the Sundance that were in the car and like a bunch of my things and I emptied out completely emptied out the car and then I had to truck all of that to a couple doors down um, where there was a church because my mom picked a fight and said we're not staying here anymore so we went and like camped out kind of like we were just sitting on the steps of the church with all this random stuff around us and my mom had found a deck of cards or something and she's like um, you know we can claim squatters rights here and da 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 and she was trying to come up with some sort of ritual so like the police couldn't make us leave and she found this little hill out back she's like I bet you there's oil down there and da 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 like really losing it and um I was just sitting there and I was so withdrawn into myself I was just listening to an audiobook on my cassette tape and then it started to rain and I was just sitting there and I'm thinking I don't know what's gonna happen so I just listened to my audiobook and I sat there and I was ignoring her and I was just so mad I remember being so mad because I didn't know how this was all gonna get better like I had no idea what was gonna happen next and all I could think of was how I needed to get home to do the dishes. I needed to go and I was going to clean up the kitchen and then I was going to clean my room and start getting things reorganized and it was all I could think about was that I needed to do the dishes. And 
eventually, I think maybe an hour or two went by, and I guess somebody had called the police because a couple OPP cruisers pulled up. And I remember the one officer's name, I think Croft, her name was Officer Marianne, and she was very, very, very nice lady. And she talked to my mom for a minute, and her partner like kept talking to my mom, and she came over to talk to me, and she's like, so what's, what's going on? And I, I think I told her a little bit about what was going on. I said, we lost our dad, we came up here to visit, mom got in an accident, blah, 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 and here we are. She's like, okay. And she said, like, are you guys Canadian citizens? I said, yes. I said, but I don't, I don't know if we have any documentation. And she's like, okay. And to make a long story short about that day, my mom was taken to a hospital in Lindsay and checked into the mental health ward. And Stone and I were taken to foster care in Fenland Falls. And again, I think the creator or spirit or whoever was really looking out for us because foster care is like, it's a first come first serve kind of thing. Like, and whoever has a bed available, that's where you go. And we were lucky enough that the first foster home that they called had two beds available. So Stone and I were able to stay together. And it was on the drive to the foster home that I started crying. And I wasn't crying from grief, I don't think. I think I was just crying because I was so frustrated and embarrassed and angry that all of this had happened and I didn't know how else to express it, so I just cried. But when we got to the foster home, The first thing I saw when I walked in the door was a picture of a white dove carrying a medicine wheel in its beak. And I remember thinking that we were in a good place. We are in a safe place. And I was right. Our foster parents were wonderful people. They gave us a sense of normalcy in all the chaos that was happening in our life. And we needed it (laughs) badly. And they, like, we had three meals a day, we had snacks, they organized, you know, activities for us to go and do, like, as a family. Um, There was also a couple uh, foreign students staying with them that we became really close friends with and I remember it just felt very good, very normal and we stayed with them for almost six months while my mom was getting better and they asked Stone and I a few days later if we wanted to go visit her and having seen my mother go through these kinds of episodes before and she told me how important it was I said that Stone and I didn't want to see her until she was sleeping through the night and I think mom talks about it in the book that she wrote that she was devastated 
But the fact of the matter is, I was scared of her. Stone was scared of her. We, like, a lot had happened. And we just lost our dad. And then our mom kind of also left, but in a different way. And, um... In a lot of ways, it felt like losing both parents. Because mom... After we got back with her, she was a completely different person. The medication that they put her on kept her very, very sedated. She's like a zombie. I remember, like, she slept all the time. And as a result of that, I'd have to step up to help take care of my brother more. And I kind of started acting out a little bit, being a bit rebellious. And (laughs) my version of rebellious was, like, I'd leave the house at 11 o'clock at night to wander around the town listening to music and sometimes I'd sit at Tim Hortons or Sobeys and journal or I'd sit like at the waterfront and listen to music that's my big rebellion I never I never drank in high school I never did drugs and I was friends with basically everyone or at least on friendly terms with most people so even if I ran into any like quote troublemakers in town they'd be like oh hey Oreo what's up but I was mad and (laughs) I used to ground myself so like if I did that where I left the house at 11 o'clock at night didn't come home till 6 a.m and I asked my mom the next day I said do you know where I was last night (laughs) she's like upstairs I said no I said I left the house at 11 and I didn't get back till 6 o'clock this morning and she said oh okay and I said okay like you should you should be upset you should be mad I should be grounded and my friends called me later on and they said hey like do you want to hang out and I said oh sorry I can't my mom grounded me And I don't know why I did that, but it just made me mad. And we moved a lot Um, back then. Like, we had been in this kind of halfway house apartment building where women and children in kind of bad situations go to sort of, like, have a year to get on their feet. And uh, it's run by Women's Resources. And so we were there for a year. And in that year, we got furniture, we got clothes, mom got a car. And then we were able to get a house and rent a house. And um, then we moved again because my mom met this guy and he was like, oh, you know, I'm really old, and I'm alone, and I just need 
you know, people to keep me company until I die. And then I'll leave everything to you guys in my will because I don't have anybody else. And my mom was like, okay, we'll move in with you then because he just lived like a 30-minute drive from town. But he turned out to be quite a piece of work. And like right after we moved in, like he was constantly putting stone down and um like just was not a good person for us to be around and literally by the end of the first week we decided that we didn't want to be there anymore and we were moving out by the end of the second week living with him and we were lucky because somehow I mean, there's usually a waiting list for that place. And once you've stayed there once, you don't usually get to go back. But the same apartment building that helped us before, we were able to go back there again. And we stayed for another year. And then my mom got a house through uh, an organization, I think, called like Native Housing. Because Stone and I are indigenous First Nation because of dad. So mom qualified for that because we all qualified for it. And we got a house uh, in another town nearby and moved in there. And by that time I had graduated high school and um, you know, was moving on with life. I started dating this guy and it was kind of in between our our new house there and his place spent a lot of time with him and his family and um you know life just kind of moved on but there's a lot of trauma i guess that i haven't dealt with because it's always been like, I'm just dealing with adjusting to my new situations all the time. That I don't have time to sit in a comfortable place and deal with what happened. Because after Dad died, Mom, all that happened. And then we were in foster care, and then we were moving, and I was in a new school, in a new country, with new friends, new people. And I tried to make the best out of all of my situations. Like when I was starting at a new school, I'd been bullied hardcore back in Erie because I was weird, because I was native, but I looked white, still look white. And, you know, when I got to this new school in a new country, I realized nobody here knew me. So I was given the opportunity to reinvent myself. And so I did, and I wanted to become a kinder person, more confident person, and I did. Um, and then, you know, I've just been constantly on the go, constantly moving. Like, I moved out of mom's place, moved more in with my ex-boyfriend and his parents, and then I went to college and was living with uh, this woman named Donna, who we'd met along our traveled and kind of adopted her as our grandma lived with her while I did my first year of college and then I moved into my own place kind of I was renting a room 
from a friend of a friend and then moved to Toronto to be with my ex-boyfriend because he said, like, either move to Toronto with me or I'm going to quit my job and come home and live with my parents. And I'm like, I don't want you to do that because it's a good job, so I'll move there with you. And I was there with him for two years and then decided to come back to this part of the world or part of Ontario to finish school because I'd only done my first year. And then after I came back here for school, broke up with him because the relationship wasn't working anymore. And then I was focused on healing myself and getting better and finishing college and then starting a new job and, you know, just focusing on whatever new thing was happening in my life. And I kept shoving my grief and my trauma and everything else to the back burner and feeling like I've dealt with it. I'm okay. I dealt with it. It's okay. It's good. I'm moving on. I'm look at me. I'm going to college. I've got all these friends and I'm doing fine. And then a couple years ago, mom passed away and she hadn't been doing well again. She'd gone off her meds and I tried really hard to help her. Um, she, she wasn't doing well. And to make a very long story short about that, I ended up taking her to the hospital. I said, mom, like, you trust me, right? She said, yeah. I said, trust me when I tell you I'm seeing a lot of signs that you've shown before when you weren't doing well mentally. And if you're really okay, the doctor will tell us that and it's something else and we'll figure it out. But I'm worried and I just need the doctor to tell me that you're okay. So she agreed to come with me to the hospital. We explained what was going on and she was admitted to the hospital for a few weeks. And I was working at Sears at this time and I took her to the hospital in Lindsay. I tried to get her to come to the Peterborough hospital because it would have be it would have been easier for me to come visit her and I knew she was going to get admitted but she wanted to do Lindsay because she was familiar with it and I said okay so they had her here they fed her they you know got her off all of her medication um, completely and then they were starting to like put her back on medication just to see what worked for her and the one day I came to see her I'll never forget it I felt so bad for having her put in the hospital I felt bad because I felt like I was a bad daughter, that I wasn't making enough time for her. And um, I went to visit her and she was so excited to see me. And she was so excited to tell me that she's like, you know, I'm feeling a lot better and I want to thank you for, you know, helping me and she's like, I'm really excited. She's like, I'm thinking like when I get out of here and like we'll do all this and 
she's talking about how she wanted to start up her crystal business again, which is the business that she had when she met my dad. And she was talking about how she was going to get back in touch with some of her old contacts and, you know, get her stock up again. And then we could go to powwows and gem and mineral shows together and everything is going to be great. And I remember smiling and nodding and on the inside dying a little bit because I knew. I knew she was only like that because she wasn't on her medication. And I knew that once they put her back on medication, that she'd go back to being the zombie. And I was heartbroken because it was the first time I'd seen my mom in so long. The energetic, motivated woman who raised me. That was the last time I ever got to see her. It was just for that few minutes. And when I got back to my car after visiting her, I burst into tears. Because I knew that she was going to go away again. And, um... But I was glad that I got to see her at least the one last time. And it was a couple months after that that she got in the accident and ironically enough I had seen her that day too the day she passed I went to visit her with my now ex-boyfriend Russell and he and I went because I wanted to introduce her to him because we just started dating officially and um when I showed up at her house while she had been in the hospital before I had deep cleaned her house because it was not good like dishes stacked up and gross and moldy and like she had three cats and wasn't cleaning up after them and the house had just been terrible so I'd gone there with my friend Tanya to clean and like get her house organized and like make it a good space for when she got out of the hospital and she it was just essentially destroyed again when I went to visit her and she'd only been out of the hospital a couple of weeks and it got right back or worse and I was so upset and she was asking me to borrow money because another part of like what she was going through she was um gambling a lot and like gaming on facebook spending more money than she had um like money that should have gone towards bills was going towards bingo or facebook games and so she was asking to borrow money from me and when i looked around her house i noticed that like 
stuff had clearly been left on the stove until it burnt. And I saw these burn marks on the coffee table because she was leaving cigarettes and, you know, she'd fall asleep with them and they'd burn the table. I said, Mom, like, this isn't safe. Like, you're not doing well. You're not okay. Like, we need to fix this. And I think maybe you and I should look at moving in together. I said, it would be awesome. Like, you can move to Peterborough with me. You know, there's a lot more to do here. Like, and we'll do things together and it'll be awesome. And... Then when I was getting ready to leave, I don't know why I said this particular thing. I still don't know. But I gave her a huge hug and I'd been so frustrated and angry, but I loved her so much. And I gave her a big hug and a kiss and I said, Mom, I love you so, so much. I said, please be careful. I said, don't drive anywhere if you don't have to. Like, if you need help with groceries, like, just call me. I'll come. I'll get you groceries or I'll buy them and I'll bring them to you. Like, just stay safe. Be safe. Don't go anywhere. And I don't know why I said that because the thing that had worried me most was burning cigarettes. But for some reason, I said, don't drive anywhere. And I gave her a big hug and kiss. I said, I love you. And she looked at me and she's like, you're so dramatic. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I love you. And I gave her a huge hug and kiss, and I told her how much I loved her. And then we left, because I had a party I was supposed to go to that night. A Day of the Dead party, because this was... Uh, It was November 4th was the date. It was a Saturday. And I had just finished my first week of training at my new job at the call center I work at. That mom had actually recommended I try and work there. And I had finally gotten the job and she was so proud of me. And uh, that night I was getting ready to go. And my friend called me and she said, why are the police looking for you? And I said, I don't know. And of course my stupid brain that's watched way too much CSI and, you know, law and order. I'm like, somebody framed me. <laughs> it was my first thought. Somebody framed me. I'm going to go to jail for something I didn't do. And the police had told her not to tell me that they were looking for me but of course she's my best friend so she's gonna tell me um one of my best friends so nobody gets upset um and so she's like well they're on their way to you now because i told them where you are i said okay so i like quickly wiped off my skull makeup that i just finished and you know, put on normal clothes, kind of, and then I hear the doorbell. And I go down, open the door, there's two police officers standing there, and they said, are you Oriana Rendon? I said, yes. They said, are you the daughter of um, Betty Rendon? And I said, yes. And they said, can we come in? And I said, yeah. And I was thinking, oh my God, like, did she get in trouble? Did mom get arrested? Like what's going on? And then they told me that my mom had passed away 
in a single car accident. And unlike when I lost my dad, I collapsed into my friend's arms and sobbed harder than I had ever cried before. And I don't know how to describe the feeling except for like it was like my mom was the anchor that kept me rooted to the ground and the second that she left It was like I was no longer attached to anything. Like I was just floating in space with nothing to hang on to. And of course, when you're suffering, that kind of grief and loss, the first thing you want to do is call your mom. really hard like I was crying for a while and then I asked the police officers to sort of tell me what had happened and I pulled myself together enough to listen and then I remember thinking in my head, like, okay, Oriana, you need to pull yourself together because this is really hard for them. And I even said to them, like, I'm really sorry. Uh, because I know this is really hard. It's not easy telling somebody that they've lost a family member. And I'm sorry that you guys have to do that. And I said, uh, like, I'm, I appreciate you guys being strong and, you know, coming here to tell me this. And uh, I just want to let you know, like, I'm going to be okay. I don't want you to carry my pain with you. Like, I think somehow it'd come out that they'd just started their shift. I said, I'll be fine. Like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be sad for me, but I'll be okay. And I don't want you guys to carry my pain. And I gave them both a hug, and they left. And then, like, Russell had called my friend who had called to warn me. And told her, and then everything else about that night was a blur. I just know that eventually people showed up and were there with me that night. And the next day, and I was trying 
to think of all the people I had to tell that mom had passed away and the first person I called obviously was my brother. And um, I called him and he's like, hey, and I said, um, how are you? And he's like, good, how are you? I said, I'm fine. And then I said, actually, I'm not fine. I don't know why I said that. And he's like, what's up? And I said, well, I said, mom got in a car accident. was so calm. He was so calm. And he's like, okay. Well, thank you for telling me. And he said, yep. And I didn't know what else to say, so we got off the phone. And I'm like, I need him. I need my brother. And I called him right back a few minutes later to ask him to come and, and be with me. I said, because I can't handle this by myself. I don't know what to do. And he said, he was, he was bawling on the phone. He was sobbing. And then uh, a woman got on the phone and it was his friend's mom and he'd happened to be around them, I guess, when he got the news, so they were there, and she said she'd bring him the next day, and, uh, the next few days were a blur, and, uh, I don't know, it was just a hard time, I think the whole point of me telling all of this was just to say, like, after mom died, I had to clean out her house, and I was just starting a new job, and I'm so grateful to the company because they gave me the time to deal with all of that, and, uh, like, Stone and I decided to move in together because we're the only family we've got left in Canada, except for our mom's dad, our grandpa, who we've never met who doesn't talk to us since she died. Last time I talked to him was to tell him that she'd passed away. And I haven't really heard from him since. I don't know if he's even still alive or what's going on with him, but he doesn't talk to me, so. Stone and I are it in Canada. Oh, we also apparently have a couple uncles. Mom has two half-brothers that I'm aware of, but I don't know their names or where they live or anything about them except for that they exist. So, we have family somewhere. I just don't know how to get in touch with them. And uh, they know about us, and they've never tried to find us, so whatever. Um, but anyway, Stone and I decided to move in together, so he moved from where he was living in Burlington to here in Peterborough with me, where we are still living now. And he was staying with my one friend and her husband for a while while I was looking for an apartment for us. And it's like, I cleaned up mom's house, started my new job, 
was working my job long enough so that any prospective landlords would know that I can work and that I make enough money. There's the three-month probation time here in Ontario where after the three months, like, you, you're in that job, you have it. Unless you do something really terrible to get fired or you leave. So, like, I was... I finally found us an apartment here in town got us moved in, got mom's house cleaned out, put our stuff in storage, and then once we moved uh, into our apartment, um, we, I'm trying to think of everything that happened, so we moved into our apartment, and then I continued working at my job, and Stone was he was trying to work as well and like just trying to get back into the flow of life and it was a year after mom passed away that I first started like really having my mental health issues like that whole year I'd have random like days where I would just be bawling like I couldn't help it I lost my mom we've lost our dad we've lost everything and it would just come up but then I'd push it down because I had to focus on life and taking care of Stone. And Stone suffered majorly from depression. He didn't... He didn't want to live. He was suffering from a lot of suicidal thoughts. And I was terrified. I was terrified that I was going to lose my brother, too. And, uh... So I helped him through that. There was a lot of issues and trials around that. And I helped him get back to school. And get into a better place mentally. And we found him a better job. But now he's working a job that he loves. And he went to school for a subject he was interested in. And he's doing so well. And I am so proud of him. And after a year that mom passed away, like, I finally had my first kind of mental breakdown. Where I just stopped getting out of bed. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to get up anymore in the morning. I mean, and for days, like, I'd call into work and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing well. And I know I'm not doing well. I've seen mom go through this. I've seen Stone go through this. And I sense it in myself, and I know that this isn't normal for me. So I called my nurse practitioner. She put me on a leave of absence. And I think I was on a leave of absence for a month or two. Then I went back to work, and I started getting back into the flow. And uh, then we had to move again into, like, our lease expired with our old landlords, and... Um, for a bunch of reasons they were going to sell the house and we wanted a bigger space because it was just a small basement apartment with us two and three cats and um, because they were mom's cats and I couldn't bear to get rid of them at the time so we found this new place around June May or June last year uh, found this place and 
moved in, everything was great, and then my boyfriend, Russell, moved in with us, and um, around the same time that I had been going through my mental health issues and took that leave of absence, I told him that I wasn't happy in the relationship, and that I... I listed off a bunch of reasons why I felt like we weren't working and weren't going to work long term and he's a very idealistic, very positive person which is something I loved. And he had this very much like a love can conquer all, it's fine, you know, we'll get through this, da da da. And I said okay. So we tried again and we dated for another year. And this past January, um, like, we'd been fighting all the time. I was unhappy, and my unhappiness was causing him unhappiness, and, like, it just came to a head one night. Like, we talked about it. We were always very open on our communication from day one because we said, like, we're friends and we love being friends, and now we have more romantic feelings, so we're going to try and give this a go. But the deal that we made before we started dating was if either one of us was unhappy, for whatever reason, the other one had to acknowledge it, and then if we end things, like, we end it on good terms, and we try to keep our friendship as much as we can. That was our deal. So when I told him how I was feeling, what I was feeling, and that nothing had changed in the in the year since we had that discussion, we finally ended, ended things officially, which was challenging because in that time, like, he moved in with us, and we're working at the same place, and, like, on the same schedule, like, everything was the same. But because we kept that kind of good relationship with each other where, like, we're friends first, like, even though we spat a little bit and we, like, you know, had our moments, it was generally a very civilized breakup. Like, I helped him pack, I helped him move, I helped him figure out where he was moving to, and now he's rooming with... um, a friend of his and doing well and still very good like we're giving each other space to like get past the breakup which I feel like I'm in a pretty good place as far as that goes um very amicable and um he left and our breakup happened right before the whole COVID-19 situation happened. And it was okay. Like, I was feeling better, honestly. Like, after the breakup, I felt a weight lifted from me. I felt, like, more myself. And I was getting back to how I felt I should be. Um, gaining my confidence back because I'd lost a lot of that in our relationship for some reason, which I still haven't figured out why that happened. But I'd lost touch with myself. I'd lost, I'd lost touch with um, my sexuality, my spirituality, like everything. I just didn't feel like me. 
and after our breakup I started to slowly get back to me and I'm still slowly on that path but I felt better and then I was getting better at my job again because I had like really started shitting the bed <laughs> with my job like I couldn't do it anymore um, I was getting like severe anxiety attacks at work and like depression and whatever and I was starting to feel better and then COVID-19 hit and obviously the world went to shit and it being a call center like but it's still considered an essential service even though I was in the sales department um, TV internet home phone are essential services so what our company did in an effort to keep as many people employed as possible was they trained us all and at first it was just going to be training for home phone tech support which I was like okay tech support is so not my thing I'm not a techie person at all the only reason I could do sales is because I'm good at talking to people tech support not really my speed but I'm like you know what this company's been there for me my team has been there for me my bosses have always been good to me whatever they need I'll do it it's fine I'll, I'll get the training for tech support I'll do it for however long we have to do it for and they were getting people set up to work from home I'm like bonus because I wanted to spend more time at home I was feeling very antisocial still kind of feeling antisocial if I'm being honest like I don't want to be around a whole lot of people which again is an an another unusual thing for me I'm normally a very social person like I'm the type of person to like get people together to throw the parties to do that stuff these days I'm like it's an effort for me just to pick up the phone and talk to somebody so anyway um I was like cool and then after our initial home phone training which was two days then we got um confirmation that they were going to train us for tv internet and home phone so all three services so I was like crap so the other part to that is normally the training for tech support for all three services is three weeks of in-class training and then another week of what they call nesting which is where you're there you have managers and people around you to support you answer your questions and help you take calls if you need help we didn't get that emergency situation I totally understand um, but it was a very quick training and because a lot of people were doing the training remotely um, there was a lot of issues with like just trying to get connected and get everybody signed in and in sales we had maybe four tools total that we used two on a daily basis and the other ones like if we ran into an issue for some reason tech support they have like 20 different tools that you use for different reasons and most of them you have to log in every time you use them and there's different logins for each thing and you have to know when you need to use the tool um, but there's like the one main one that you tell it what the problem is for the customer and it kind of guides you through what you need to do and it gives you step by step but like for someone like me like I have to read each step and when you're on the phone with a customer and they're like hey my internet isn't working I have zero idea how to help them so I'm going through the steps trying to do it but like a call that would take a normal tech support agent like 
30 minutes. It was taking me like two to three hours because I'd have to put them on hold and call the helpline and ask like, am I doing the right thing? And they'd say, no, you have to do it like this. And um, to say it was giving me anxiety would be an understatement. But I was doing my best because I, feel, I felt like I owed that to the company. Because like I said, they've always been good to me. And I'm like, you know what? Everybody's going through a hard time right now. Everybody's dealing with this whole situation. And a lot of people don't even have a job. And I should be grateful. And I really did try. I had a really hard first day. But after a few days, I started getting in the hang of it. And I started, you know, kind of knowing what to do on certain calls. And it wasn't too bad. But as the days went on... Um, I noticed that I wasn't getting out of bed anymore and I'd be late logging in and the second that uh, this thing called SLU came up and what that is is essentially um, the company is offering for people to take time off of work that isn't paid, it's not vacation time it's just you select to not work you're not paid for it, but they also don't penalize you for your attendance either. Like, you just get to be off. Um, just because I don't know exactly why they do it. I think it's to do with, like, business and hours, whatever. So we got that. And I, the second it became available, I automatically applied to have, like, the next three days off of work. So I'd have those three days off of work plus my two days that I was already off. And, um... I realized that something was very, very wrong with me because I just, I stopped caring about anything. I wasn't eating. I had Insure because I had had to get a tooth removed. So, you know, wasn't eating a whole lot. And then I was not getting out of bed. And I called my nurse practitioner's office on, I think the Thursday or Friday and I said like hey I need to talk to Carrie about you know some stuff going on with me I don't I don't think I'm doing well and she called me back on I think the next day if it was the Thursday she called me Friday and if it was Friday she called me Monday and she said what's going on and I said well this is how I'm feeling and I don't know what to do so she referred me to a counselor and she said okay she's gonna call you um, we'll set up an appointment she'll call you and talk to you and whatever and long story short there um, I talked to her she's like well do you want to like drop down to at least part-time like are you able to take time off work I'm like well financially I don't think I should do that but like you know dropping down a part-time might help and Stone was very encouraging with all of this because he said, Sis, like, you need to take this time for you. He's like, you looked after me when I needed it. You're not doing well. You need to look after you now. And I said, okay. And so I talked to the counselor, and she's so kind and very easy to talk to. Like, the second I heard her voice, I still don't know what she looks like. But she's just got this air about her that just is very calming and easy to open up to. And I just opened up floodgates to 
talking to her for the first time, she's like, you know, you know, Carrie told me that, like, you have some things you want to talk about, and it just word vomit, like, stuff I didn't even realize consciously, and it just popped out of my mouth, and I realized it was true, and, um, essentially, after a few sessions, she's like, uh, I think you should really consider taking time off of work, like, altogether, because it sounds like you have like over a decade of trauma and grief that you have not addressed yet, not fully. And I realized that it was right. She was right. Um, because I tend to bottle things up and I try really hard not to do that because I learned about that shortly after dad passed away when through my counseling sessions back then that I tend to bottle things up and they bottle up and bottle up and bottle up until they eventually just spill over. And I didn't realize I was still doing that, but apparently I have been. So I'm trying to work through all of that. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm doing my weekly counseling sessions with her and trying to sort through my grief and There's just so friggin' much to unpack. And I think I'll probably have to continue talking about that on next week's episode because I'm looking at how long I've been talking and I've been talking for an hour and 20 minutes. So if you listened this long, um, thank you. Um, I appreciate you listening. And I'm sorry that it was such a long episode tonight. Um, Didn't really mean to word vomit my entire life story. Well, from like the last 13 years, I guess. (laughs) But there it is. That's like the Reader's Digest version of my life, I guess. Um, So I'm going to... I guess I'll end this week's episode here and sort of pick up where I left off um, next Monday. Um, But again, thank you for listening if you did, and I'm sorry for being so sad and so down this episode, but I guess it's really on my mind. And I know I've been missing my parents a lot lately. I guess that's understandable. Because now being stuck at home, not socializing... I've got nothing but free time on my hands at the moment. Um, I guess I'm just kind of getting forced to confront all of this grief that's built up. And talking it through is therapeutic, so thank you. And um, I hope you have a good rest of your day, your week. And um, if you're listening to my other series, then I will talk to you on Wednesday for a much happier topic, I guess. Um, not sure what I'm going to talk about in that episode, but I'll figure it out uh, before then. So anyway, have a good week and thank you and I'll see you or talk to you later. <laughs> I got to figure out a closing statement, but anyway, good night, good morning.
good afternoon, whatever time you're listening to this, and talk soon. Bye.